They didn't have a studio, they had a minute little sound booth where they'd put people in for voiceovers, but the rest of the time they were editing things out loud in the office. Right. On monitors. Right. So I was constantly hearing the same thing yeah. edited again and again and again. Add an effect, take this off, again and again. And I just learned through that. And I also, rather than being irritated by it, I was fascinated. I loved it. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Carrie. Hello, Carrie. Hello. So the first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? I know <laughs> you through Matt Hill, who is an audio producer, uh, you, who you work with closely, who I've worked with in the past as well. So I think it was two years ago now, possibly. Time, yeah, time I think fast. so. Yeah. We pitched successfully to CBeebies for an idea that Matt and perhaps yourself had as well. We got uh, with Ministry of Stories, right. Hoxton Monster Supplies. That's right, yeah. And actually it took us two years to get the pitch, but when we finally did get it, then we all worked together as a team. That's right, yeah. yeah that's how I met you. Yeah, yeah. and it was, it, it was, that was a really kind of, I don't know, I guess that was my first foray into professional in inverted commas uh, yeah. radio stuff like rather than independent podcasting yeah um and it was a i mean it it was a really great project for me because it kind of married my my day job at the time which was working with children under five yeah. uh, with making audio stuff so yeah. that was great a great opportunity but it does take a long time doesn't it, it? does take a long time yeah i mean we we persevered and kept I think each time we sent the proposal in we kind of changed it slightly and listened to their feedback yeah yeah I think it got to the stage the stage where it was so good that they couldn't say no yeah absolutely (laughs) it was all there laid out on a plate for them and it did turn out brilliant well it was a I mean it was a fantastic fantastic, uh thing to do I mean one of the things I'm proudest of about it was that you know, we got the the voices and the stories of, of of children that you know that they their voices telling their own stories, which is a great thing to hear. Rare on the radio to hear uh, yeah. untrained children's voices. And that was I mean? kind of your job, really. Yeah, right. running around <laughs> with fantastic. a microphone and um, fluffy fluffy slippers to yes. stop, so I didn't squash any but any little little child's feet uh, when I was running around to get yeah. their 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 words. It's yeah. always interesting for me how amazing children are on the radio because also I have also taught primary school children radio and as you probably know you get an adult for the first time in front of a mic and it's like "Uh, what do I say suddenly they clam up I mean even you starting this interview I'm like I'm in front of a mic now and it takes a little while children none of that they just go off and are totally themselves lively and highly entertaining yeah I actually think there should be you know, a, a regular program with primary school children presenting. <laughs> Me too. I'm, I'm, They're brilliant. I really think that actually. I mean, that, that yeah, for sure. And I mean that that was the that was the really good thing about about what we did. And the the I mean that, to to explain why I was running around a room. I guess I should ex- explain that. Like it was like a workshop, and the children created a story with Terry, who was also fantastic, amazing, really incredible. Good. Yeah, I'd love to work with him again. Yeah, Terry Saunders. He's, he was a comedian and was a volunteer for Ministry of Stories. That's how we That's met him. Right. But he's also he's a writer and all sorts of things. Yeah. But I mean, he was just so good. Good with the children, but also he's got a kind of good line in adult kind of adult a joke that will work for an adult and a child at the same time I think his, his yeah. sense of humor is incredibly dry right it's hilarious but actually children really get love that. it yeah they really get that they, they get it straight away <laughs> yeah I mean you know it was a, the, the whole experience was really brilliant but I mean basically what we did was we just took a, a an established workshop format that the Ministry of Stories had exactly. and we recorded it and then we edited it together with um, with Jenny Murray from Woman's Hour which was also amazing yeah I mean I, I, that was funny I mean I remember being in a an early meeting I, I don't I think this was before we'd even approached you we, right we, me and Matt approached the Ministry of Stories first to see if they were on board yeah, with it and yeah. I remember saying you know wouldn't it be good if the chief was Jenny Murray from Woman's Hour because I've been you know banging my slightly I guess feminist drum I, I think that the idea of the chief being a woman yes, I really liked that totally idea. right and I thought as well radio wise Jenny Murray makes sense as the as the chief woman she makes sense for anything <laughs> for anything, anything yeah, <laughs> exactly 
Um, and I just, you know, said that. We put that, like, like Jenny Murray, I think. And then there, there we were recording with Jenny Murray. He was fantastic as well. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting looking back at it, isn't it? Because it, it was such a great project. I mean, a great team. Matt won an award yeah. for it. Yeah. And so he should. As he should, absolutely. <laughs> and it was really successful. I think it went really well. Interestingly, I heard a programme on Radio 4 a few months ago only talking about CBB's radio and the fact that it was uh, had such a low profile. And they were talking to a lot of mothers saying, do you know about CBB's radio? And they were saying, no. Yeah. You know? And um, I think it's just an oversight that the proposition of children's radio is so overlooked, you know. Yeah. And our, what we did was fantastic, and it was podcast, and it was brilliant. Yeah, and it's interactive. And it was interactive, all, of things. all that kind of yeah. stuff. But, you know... That that should be a good example of how you know children's radio can be excellent and yeah no for, for and sure. it's needed. I mean, all these mothers were saying I would listen to that, you know, and they said, well, actually, it already exists. Yes, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's I, it's yeah, it's 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 like with all of these things like podcasts or, or with with online content like that, you sort of spend your time shouting about it, going, come and look at this thing, and then people and it takes a while to lead, like for people to get the concept. Oh, there's radio on the internet for children on the CBB site it's it, those kind of that that process is a bit of a barrier to yes. them getting to the content that they yes. would really like yeah yeah I reckon it's all still there I mean the, the yeah. Ministry of Stories stuff is all there if mm-hmm. you look on the on the website uh, listeners and, and it's and, fantastic yeah. and I mean, it's also timeless yeah I think so know? because yeah because they made those stories they're kind of original stories totally. and they work anytime yeah, yeah. yeah that's right yeah yeah and I mean yeah, and you produced that. I was executive, executive producer, producer on it. Um, I think Ignite, because Ignite had been a supplier with the BBC for a while, so we had the infrastructure to be able to support the, the project. And I gave some advice and some general pointers and oversaw it from the terms of the budget, but really it was you know, it was you and Matt that led it creatively and yeah. I gave some bits here and there I I mean, right I mean and Matt did a really excellent job I, yeah. love, I, I do love working with Matt Matt's like a mystery figure on these podcasts because a lot of the uh, podcasts start with people saying yeah I met you through Matt but Matt's never been on <laughs> uh, I quite like the idea of you know a campaign to get Doesn't Matt exist. on yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> But no, I mean he did he did brilliant work, and as you rightly rightly say, he got a, a radio production award yeah. partly based on his work that he did for that. That's right, which is great. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I was nominated for an award the, the year before or whatever, but he he actually managed to to close that gap, which is an amazing thing to do, I think, it's as fantastic. a kind of independent person, because it's yeah. you know the radio industry, as I'm sure you, you know, it's it's quite hard to get into from mm. the outside. And mm. Matt's done amazing. At getting he perseveres he perseveres yeah. and he's uh he's very professional for sure and uh very affable yeah yeah well, well he's got a real i've always thought that what matt's got is a kind of um a sense of what what works in a popular way but not in a not in a patronizing way like what is genuinely good quality popular like populist yes. uh work that can appeal to to lots of people which is why I like working with him because I'm a bit more um obscure and he always when we do a project together he makes my obscure much more kind of uh, universal like yeah, which I like you know yeah I think that's the same for me actually I tend to go <laughs> off at tangents and quite enjoy that but yeah, to get anywhere in the industry, you have to kind of be in the centre and appeal to a lot of people. Yeah. That's the only way you get commissioned, actually. Yeah, I mean... And it's, it's the but only it, way. And exactly, but yeah. it's doing it whilst still maintaining a kind of uh, something else as well as that yeah. populist... Uh, yeah sense which I think Matt does really well I mean I had a really good time on that project for lots of reasons I mean it was really great to I mean I I mean I guess it's going to be a career highlight writing like comedy sketches for Jenny Murray to perform you know that was that was kind of I think it's going to be the first of your highlights yeah right maybe maybe well I mean you know if that's good yeah if all the highlights are going to be that good then uh, you know I'm I'm looking forward to the future which is interesting because I've pitched so, so much stuff to the BBC over the years with all sorts of brilliant people like yourself, like and it's just so difficult, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so difficult. I mean, everyone knows that, but yeah, it's it's a hard it's a hard one to crack. And even when you think you have, like with the CBBS, then it's still you know it still doesn't guarantee anything. Yeah, right. I know. Yeah, yeah. I know. That, that's the thing that people don't 
realise. I mean, yeah, you get sort of little chunks of like. I mean, you know, yeah. It was five years before any of this sort of like. I guess, you know, I guess coming on seven or eight years ago was when me and Matt were nominated for a Sony Award, right? Yeah, but is that for Rethink Daily. Yeah, that yeah. was for Rethink Daily. That that yeah. makes it sound like you've all you've succeeded. When you say I went to the <laughs> Sony Awards, everyone thinks, oh wow, you know, he's all right. We can forget about him. But yeah. the reality was obviously he must be getting loads yeah. of work. Right. The reality was, you, you know, I went to that, you know, in the evening, like outside my day job and then the next morning at six o'clock I was bang up on the alarm going to my day job thinking thinking you know I remember last night when I didn't win that award you know (laughs) and suddenly the money that you you have to find to get to the awards becomes a bit of a bitter amount of money that you've spent (laughs) because it's like did did that offset anything I've made from anything never applied for any awards well I think that's a reasonable approach in some ways because it does cost money to apply for awards it does and I th- but I think also they're a really good thing to have um, yeah. you know they, they, they do add credibility and kudos um, but yeah I, I have I did win an award actually I won a media week award in the 90s I forgot about that but that's the only award I've ever gotten well, that's the best I mean, if you didn't apply for it but you still won it that's the, <laughs> that's the best way to get an award isn't it I mean, I think. yeah it was great and I remember actually which is how yourself and Matt must have felt I guess I remember think, going to the awards thinking oh awards whatever yeah. you know they're so silly and you know then we won and we were like yes <laughs> we won the yeah, I think you I'm can so kind of happy. you can kid yourself that you don't care about it until you either win or lose, and then you, yeah. and then you're really happy or you're really yeah. Well, depressed. I was kind of didn't care, but I then but actually give, being given somebody telling you you did re- a really good yeah. job. Right. That's the that's good great, bit. right? That's yeah. the good bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and then this dovetails quite nicely into yeah the second question that I ask everybody, which is what do you do now? Well, I've just I'm still completing a master's that I foolishly um, took on. I say foolishly, it was just kind of impetuous, really, and I just decided, I'm going to do a Masters, why not? Yay! And then I didn't realise that it's quite hard work. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I attempted to also continue my production work whilst I was doing it, so it was really stressful, especially the second term, especially exams, which I haven't done for... I mean, I'm a yoga teacher as well, so I did some exams about five years ago, but they were yoga exams, a little bit different. But I haven't done any exams since degree, you know, a long time ago. So that was really stressful, but amazing. So at the moment, I'm at the dissertation stage of my master's, so things are much calmer. Right. um, And I can take my time. So I'm getting back into work, and I've been working on various projects. I was working with Universal, editing the music site for a couple of months, a new music portal that they've started... Um, so I'm looking to perhaps steer away slightly from production, N- not completely, because I don't think it's possible to do that these days, and I do enjoy it and I do love it, but I would like to nurture the journalistic side of me and the investigative side of of my interests, right? which I haven't been doing because I've been very much project manager, production managing other people managing groups right. of people and having some creative input like with the CBBS project but not actually um being getting you know getting into the nitty-gritty of things which i want to do but i'm concerned that i think i've thrown myself into another industry that's going to be really hard to get into yeah <laughs> i mean I, I wonder if there's any industry that's easy to get into these days i mean yeah. but it but i mean i guess you know when you change step to the side hopefully yes. you can still use some of the contacts oh, that you've made so you don't yeah. start completely at square one thankfully yeah. well it's a massive crossover it's a massive crossover i think the change is just my role yes within right. within it really i mean did yeah. you so did you end up doing sound production like stuff because you wanted to be in front of the the, the microphone in a way then or um, or or I at least making, to, the, making the documentaries or whatever rather than producing I them. think it was producing documentaries and i tell you how I got into sound production I used to share an office with something else we are now a massive production yeah. company and this was in the late 90s and I was doing youth marketing at the time which is the time when I won the award and we, sh- we all shared an office there was only about six of us two tiered office they didn't have a studio they had a minute little sound booth where they'd put people in for voiceovers. But the rest of the time, they were editing things out loud in the office on monitors. Right. So I was constantly hearing the same thing edited again and again and again, add an effect, take this off again and again. And I just learned through that. And I also 
rather than being irritated by it, I was fascinated. I loved it. And that's really how I kind of taught myself. Um, and I was already doing journalist stuff, kind of stuff. I was doing music journalism, so it kind of tied in as well. Right. So my love for it was really in the creation of the, st- of the narrative and listening to them create that narrative and, and then come up with a story. And that's the part that, that I really loved. Um, and I like interviewing people and um, getting people's stories. Yeah. 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 I mean, that, yeah, well, yeah. You, you, that's kind of my way, my, my way in as well. I mean, right. so, I mean, and I guess that's that's the, the thing is that, that I mean, I, I, I run this risk too in the sort of stuff I do that you sort of end up, you end up, because the only way to make things happen is to organise them you end up sort of the organising becomes what you do and the, the yeah. reason why you started making things happen is the thing that so you kind true. of hard can't can't get back to so easily. So true, yeah. And I, and organize, But organising is a skill that's much sought after as well. And so there will always be people to ask you to, that ask you to organise. Right. And then you get more and more sidelined into that organising role, you know. So, yeah. I guess what I was trying to do with my Masters and I am doing is step back into that process of creating a narrative which is what I'm really interested in and yeah. you, you were doing music journalism then yes which, like originally maybe originally you probably you could have been doing something else before I don't know yeah um, but you know how did you get into music journalism um, I did um, I just used to love music I was an acid house raver cool. and I used to I was there from the beginning and I was you know the, the little kid that was flying out in the streets and you know just going come to the club it's gonna be brilliant um and then i went to leeds and university just went to gigs all the time and started writing there and then um that's it really started writing there went from there and then used to write for music magazines yeah because you've got yeah. like loads of like lps and stuff in your house because that's where we're recording now yeah, yeah and, and decks as well vinyl vinyl right yeah yeah i was gonna say right <laughs> i've yeah. got rid of half of them now um, yeah, so a lot of them are leftovers from. I was really into the kind of a certain type of techno called psychedelic trance, which is better than it sounds. But I was really into it. And there's really amazing people involved with that scene that are very kind of um, forward thinking, very yeah, just forward thinking people. Very actually, people that are kind of in the mainstream now, but then in the '90s, the way that they were thinking about conscious living, etc., was was very cutting edge. So that's, I was really involved in that scene and wrote a lot about it. So a lot, maybe like that little pile there is trance records that I just can't let go of. Uh, and the rest is kind of drum and bass, reggae. I'm playing bashment at the moment. Do you know what bashment is? No. no so bashment is like dance hall and hip hop mixed together. Okay. Um, and what else do I have in there? Latin jazz, which is what I first started off playing. So you and so you were into like rhythms really I guess yes then. yeah yeah because I mean I, I like like I, I like some reggae and I like I like some drum and bass actually I like you know yeah. there's a there's definitely a place for dance music and definitely times I really enjoy dance yeah, music yeah. but I mean I guess I'm always into music from the lyrics point of view yeah but I'm, and I'm not saying that you're not but I mean it sounds to me like the thing that you're going for is atmosphere and rhythms right with a lot of that music I used to I think now if I hear dance music and there's no vocals at all I, I feel like something's missing uh, okay. I don't know maybe that's getting older mm, maybe <laughs> I don't know but I, I used to just be like why has it got a vocal you know this is a long time ago yeah yeah but now um yeah and actually interestingly sharing an office with something else was an education for me in music as well because I was very much a raver and they were total jazz heads, you know. They oh, really? were involved with Straight No Chaser magazine, and Jez Nelson was then on Jazz FM. Um, Giles Peterson started off there. Benji B started off there. Right. So all those people were total jazz heads, and just thought I was crazy. And um, I started hearing all this stuff I'd never heard before. I'd never heard of Sun Ra. You know, who was Sun Ra? Right, never, and okay. all the all this stuff started coming to my consciousness. And it was from there that my education into other types of music started, really. Wow. And so, and so you, and you decided to, like, you, so you wrote, wrote, wrote about music. Writing about music, it's a, it's a brilliant thing. I really love, like, journalists who do write about music. There's a lot of them that I really, really like. But it's quite a, a tricky thing, isn't it, to, to be able to describe, you know, sensory experiences are really hard to describe, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, music... 
be yeah. like it is. was it was it more reviews or was it like uh, it just, was both I right. did a lot of reviews um that was interesting as well because a lot of the people I was reviewing were friends so you couldn't really do any bad reviews right <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I did a lot of articles and the articles for me were almost more interesting because most of the time I was writing about underground artists and so I would often go for an interview and end up becoming friends or staying for a whole day or a weekend once um, and just kind of being in their studio and finding out about them. So that was always great. So uh, I think I approached my stories from the point of view of who are these crazy people that sit around (laughs) making these mad beats all day. Right. Um, Yeah. Again, it's a story about the people that I enjoy. Yeah. And (laughs) I guess, you know, like the kind of areas you were looking into as well were kind of slightly underground slightly yeah, new and, very, and, and yeah exactly and yeah. so you were sort of like documenting an emerging movement I guess in some yeah. ways right yeah that's, yeah. that's quite a, a, yeah an exciting place to be I guess it was and looking back on it it's interesting because a lot of that stuff's now you know I, I, I remember interviewing Steve Chandrasonic from Asian Dub Foundation who's now a really good friend from interviewing him oh wow and I guess they were, they were at the peak of their... Or they were just starting to be at the peak of what they did then. Yeah, I love Asian documentation. Um, but it's interesting now looking back and reading the article, which I haven't yet, actually. I'm, I'm about to, because I, I, I dug it out the other day. But remembering that time of everything being like crazy fresh Asian music and drum and bass and beats, wow, isn't it? And where we are now, yeah. which is just just so natural that those things should go together. yeah. It's funny how things at the fringe get really become a part of the mainstream, like fully. Yes, like you can't even remember when they weren't right. Totally. Yeah, and and so yoga as well. You said that you teach. I mean, have you been doing that for a long time? (laughs) Um, I have eclectic tastes. I have been practicing yoga for a long time, and then I've always been interested in alternative practices and therapies and healthy living. I was at, I went to a class at this centre in Camden maybe six years ago now um, called Kundalini Yoga, which is the yoga of awareness. So I'm getting into my teacher mode now, but that's basically what it is. It takes in a lot of the normal yogas that people know about, which is all the physical movement. You'll find a lot of that in Kundalini Yoga, but there's also a lot of meditation and mantra and going in a little bit deeper so you sit for quite a long time meditating in most classes they're an hour and a half classes I went to my first class fell in love with it and started practicing only that and then decided to do the teacher training in order to deepen my practice and had no intention of teaching and I think within the first week I was like of course I want to teach this this is amazing and so graduated two years ago and started a collective with five other people called the Kundalini Yoga Collective. And uh, we now teach regularly and run workshops and, and are just forming a cooperative. So we're a limited company working as a co-op together. And um, it's great. Yeah, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I I, yeah, I, 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 I've done a bit of yoga here and there, but I, I you know, not, not, not much. But I, but I know yeah. people who get a lot, a lot from it. I mean, it does definitely a, a appeal to me as a th- as a thing. But I mean, I, I guess there's sort of like there's the physical thing, and then there's the spiritual thing, mm. and then there's the people who are into both both parts of it. Yeah. I mean, are you are both? You seem like you're both parts of it. Kind I of am, person. Yeah. I think that's why I'm drawn to Kundalini Yoga. Right. I kind of like to keep it real as well. Um, so, yeah, I don't want I don't I don't want to get too dogmatic about it, and that's always a battle with me. It's like without getting too deep, there are these teachings that are thousands of years old, right. but I, in my, the journalist in me constantly questions them, yeah, and so, and keeps it real, which I think is good, but at the same time, they are thousands of years old, and so that there has to be some truth, and, and it's, you know, right. in them, and so I actually started to question less and less and less the more I practice, which is interesting. Yeah, no, that is interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I, 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 I think there's a lot to be said though for that for that point of view of of questioning, but also yeah. not forgetting that 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 we can learn from 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 history and from yes. especially stuff that's repeated through generations. Yes. You know, that's that's definitely something to pay attention to. Yeah, uh, for sure. Even if yeah, you don't take everything completely uh, as yeah, that's definitely right. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's important to have some understanding of what you're, especially as a teacher, if you're delivering something and you don't understand it, then it's not authentic. So. Right, that's yeah. really true as well. Yeah. I mean, you say it's eclectic, but it seems like like a lot of your interests, they, I don't know, they seem they seem to sort of flow together in terms of like stories and narratives and uh, interesting and sort of yeah rhythms and yoga seem to go very well together as well I mean you know I, I mean maybe, yeah maybe 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 that's what we're all like that that, that all of our different interests can easily be linked together as well yeah. as be different I mean looking looking around your room as well it, you know it's 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 there is eclectic influences going on, but it does feel very unified as well. I mean, you've got lots of kind of artwork and and, and influences. Um, I, I guess I don't know. I guess what what you could broadly say ethnic it, like yeah. art, but um, that's a yeah. very problematic word. <laughs> it could be, yeah. I mean, yeah. I've travelled a lot. Um, my parents travelled a lot, so I travelled right up until I went to university. So there's travel stuff. Right. I continue traveling. Yeah. So my Kenyan woman over there, oh, she's Gambian actually, and lots of Peruvian, Thai stuff. So yeah, various different. So that's, that's I think, the ethnic yeah. stuff that comes in. And then there's the music. The music, and it's sort of like um, it's from all over the place, kind of put, brought yeah. together, but there seems to be like kind of similar, a, a similar aesthetic going on, right? It's a really Even interesting Even though they're from different places, yeah. I think. It's, it's the really interesting. The friends, stuff. Yeah, my, all my flat is, is all my friends' artwork, which I really like. And so you you travelled. What did you travel when you were growing up? Did you say? Yeah, yeah. I was born in Peru, and then my mum remarried when I was six to my dad. Um, this I call my dad, and uh, he's half Scottish, half English. So that's why I was brought up as a as a British person. And then we went to Venezuela, and then they went to Scotland, and then they went to Saudi Arabia for about twelve years. Wow! Yeah, um, I mean, <laughs> that, what what was what was bringing making them travel between such they love different traveling. places? Okay, wow! They love the spirit of adventure, and they're still kind of like that now. They're retired, and they just travel all the time. So, were they traveling for work though? Or yeah, were they, yeah, they were. Wow. Okay. And what was it like, sort of like growing up in, in lots of different, very different places? Brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. I had such fun, as you can imagine, because it was, you know, it was either near the beach or expats have, you know, usually very charmed lives, actually. So there's always a pool and something, and loads of other kids to play with, and brilliant. And then as I got older, I was at boarding school, but I used to go back every summer. And lots of other people used to go back as well. So there was a whole social scene and also I was really into the whole adventure thing so we used to say if I was there for the summer we'd go off for two weeks and in the jeep with a whole load of other people and like across the deserts and follow Lawrence of Arabia's trail and that kind of stuff so yeah it was brilliant really good yeah that's great I mean yeah I like to be able to have real proper actual adventures rather than than just pretend ones that's that's amazing yeah it was great I'm trying to kind of get back to that now yeah well yeah, yeah yeah I mean, I know we, me and my partner have what we call adventure days where we like, Brilliant. yeah, like no phone and we try and like have adventures, but, but they're very pedestrian compared to going across oh, a, across a desert. Right, right. That's one. true. That's true. And especially, I love the idea of no phones, yeah. you and her together going, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. almost, I think it's like when, if you call it an adventure, that, yeah. that's the, it's, it's, it's almost like it doesn't yeah. really, yeah. If, if, if it's just this, you start thinking in terms of this is, this is a, an occasion where I'm going to pay attention to the yeah. life going on around me Absolutely. and I've got, we've got an objective of some kind and, you know, Absolutely. it's a journey. I mean, and it reminds me of it, kind yeah. of being a student or being younger when you would just set out for the day and see right. what happens, you know. right. And, and you, you can't do, do that, that no as much. So, I think yeah. you can. Yeah, but exactly. We just don't. No, well, that's so what that's we're brilliant. trying to do. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. Love it. What adventures have you had? They're going to sound. They're all going to sound rubbish now. But they were. They were. They were. They were. They, were, they have been adventures, though. Nevertheless, I mean, we went. We we walked from Leytonstone to the South Bank. That was quite epic. How long did that take? Um, well, we we went via Euston, so uh, it took. It, it took. A, I think we left at like nine or something, and we got. To, we were at the South Bank. 
walking down the, the, the river like five or something Fantastic. like that. Fantastic, I love that. But we, we had an adventure approach to it, so we... Uh, we but also the, the, just the changing face right, of London. Right, the opposite And how of they each all other. connect with <laughs> each other and stuff. And that's, that's why it took so long, because yeah. we stopped and we saw different things as yeah. we went along and allowed ourselves to be open to, yeah. to what was going to happen. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we've done, you know, we've done... The, the media producer things. and me would have been like, we've got to take a camera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'd be hard not to. I know what you mean, and I'm definitely a... I'm, I'm, take a microphone kind of person yeah, yeah, but yeah. I've tried that with me and Jen once went to we went because I do get getting better acquainted like road trips back to places I've lived because yeah. I've not lived all over the world but I've lived in lots of parts of the yeah, UK yeah. Um, and we went back to Lancaster where we met and where we went to university together and nice. um, I, I took a microphone and I don't think I'll ever do that again because because it was like it just meant that our everyday relationship was sort of yes. like now it's like right what do we think of Lancaster of come on let's think of yeah and it wasn't as relaxing and, and, uh, and also because you're you are an experienced producer so you were probably trying to get the right thing you know all the time yeah rather than just be natural a little bit <laughs> or at least get Jen to speak uh, but, but, but at the same time I mean I, I don't know I haven't edited that into something yet but it might yeah. be an interesting thing when when yeah. it's like It'll be quite interesting, at least for me, hearing back the tension. <laughs> yeah, but it's an interesting thing about our line of work. I think you never really stop working. Mm. And it's not just about being a freelancer. You know, people often ask me, like, what do you do for fun? And I'm like, well, I work. That's that's what I do for work is my, is my fun. Right, yeah. that's true, actually. Because I'm always... It's part of who I am, I suppose. And I think with media production, that's just the way it is, isn't it, really? Yeah, in so in some ways for sure. I mean, maybe it's you know that's the thing about doing something, anything creative. I guess is that that, yeah. that when you're thinking in general like about ideas, that's what you if that's what you're working in, then you really yeah. are never you've never stopped working. No. You know, whatever those ideas are. I mean, it doesn't have to be you know what it doesn't have to be art, arty stuff. It can even be like engineering or whatever. You, just, you know, you can't right. like, or science, I guess yeah. like you can't turn off your mind. Yeah. You might sit in the bath and go Eureka because of the, the water going over the side, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just trying to have a bath. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, I've just changed the world. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Have you, as an adult, have you travelled then, as well as as a child? I have travelled, not quite as much as I did when I, and before I was twenty. But yeah, I've done quite a bit of travelling, um, not as much as I'd, I would have liked to. I lived in San Francisco for three years. That was an interesting period of my life. Wow! Um, and that that was definitely um, my adventurous spirit because I went to. So this is in two thousand. I'd been working at Radio One. I was a freelancer and decided. I've just, it's difficult for me to kind of take on full-time work, but if anyone's got a job, that's all right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But at that time, it was quite difficult, and so I did my year at Radio 1, loved it, then then left, and decided I wanted to go to Burning Man, which is a festival in Nevada. Yeah. And it was the first time I was going, tried to find some friends to go with, nobody wanted to go, so I said, okay, I'm going on my own. You went to Burning Man on your own? Well, what happened was, two weeks before I was about to go, three of my friends had kind of been pestering and were like, guess what, we're coming. So I did end up going with four, with three other people who were awesome, uh, all DJs, and so we just, yeah, it was brilliant. In the desert, I had been doing PR for a while, music PR, for this company called Earth Dance in England, who are like a, a party that happens every year in aid of the people of Tibet. It's now changed a little bit now, but at that time, that's what it was. And the guy that ran it had moved to California. And I was in the middle of the desert and I saw this person coming towards me, big wild hair, you know, we'd been in the desert for a week and it was him. And we'd go into a conversation and he said, so what are you doing now? You know, what, what next? And I was suddenly thought, well, yeah, what next? All I'd really thought about was I'm stopping at Radio 1 and then I'm going to Burning Man. I hadn't really thought ahead. And I was like, I don't know, you know, go home and stop, do some more work. And he's like, well, I need someone here. Why don't you stay? And I was had no reason to say no really that's that's everyone's everyone always says like, wow that was so brave but there's just no reason to say no that there was nothing holding me back right so i had a rucksack full of kind of glittery stuff for burning man <laughs> and that's all i had and i just stayed wow i just stayed and i stayed for three years 
I well, like it, in, in, so in San Francisco, which is a an unusual kind of yeah. taste of, of of America, I believe. I've never yeah. been, but I listen to it's a, a lot of pocket, I think. right. I listen to a lot of podcasts yeah. sort of from people in San Francisco yeah. and stuff, and it's 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 a very unique kind of culture in a way, right? I it's think. incredible. It's amazing. Loads of music, loads of art. Uh, there's very much that kind of American mentality of like, you can do it, yay, underlying everything. So it's always super positive and super supportive. I landed, I, I just got lucky and I landed with the right people in music. I also got a job at a record label and I was in it immediately and it was fantastic. It was just amazing, amazing countryside, amazing beaches, beautiful architecture, smiley people I, I really honestly don't know why I left <laughs> I left because I kind of missed home a bit really right and I the visa thing was really difficult so um, it was either kind of find a way to stay you know there were several ways um, or or yeah use what you've learnt here and what you've gained here and take it home take some San Francisco back to yeah. London right which is you know an important way that 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 art kind of changes and like cultures change between different places it's like, yeah it's, it's people going between them and taking what they've learned and, and bringing it back and totally. remixing it and changing Absolutely. it yeah. yeah i mean there's a strong link between san francisco and london anyway i think especially musically right so yeah and, and i'm still in touch with the people and you know yeah i mean that's that's a, a fantastic like place to be i mean i really yeah I mean, living in another country as well. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, I guess you did that a lot when you were growing up yeah. as well. So it's not particularly unusual for you to sort of be in a different culture. It's interesting you say that because I think that San Francisco is the only place I've ever had culture shock. And okay. I've been to India and done all that business. <laughs> right. But um, I was not prepared for the poverty. Right. I was really, because it's America. And, every, and it's got this kind of, like, as you say, super awesome image as well. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting that you say that, yeah. actually. I was not prepared for walking out into the centre of San Francisco and seeing people selling things on little plastic sheets, but, you know, and being in areas where you saw people that were really impoverished, that were seriously impoverished. The whole Latin American area of San Francisco is ghetto, you know, and, and then they're, they're never getting out of it, and you see quite horrific things. I just wasn't prepared. Right. I didn't expect to see that, so I was quite shocked by it. That's really interesting, yeah. actually. I, and, and actually, interestingly, I mean, I, I, probably about four years ago, I did a conversation with, with a, a couple that had lived in, 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 had gone to San Francisco, and they said a pretty si- really? similar thing. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, it's, it's really interesting that you're also saying that, because yeah. I guess when they originally said it, I, I, I thought, yes, I'm mean, sure that's your experience, but I, I didn't, you know, you, when yeah. you hear one anecdote, you, you, you go, oh, yeah, that's an anecdote, but yeah. you're completely unconnected to yeah. them, and you're saying the same thing. Yeah. So that's really I mean, it's very rich as well, so it has, right. has that very obvious differences, you know, the the gap between the rich and the poor is very obvious and I believe from what I hear it's getting more so all the time right uh, and in the middle somewhere in the middle is all the artists and all the musicians and all the people doing cutting edge stuff and that's brilliant and wonderful but um, there's a lot of poverty and I think there is throughout America really we just don't really hear about it right I mean and, yeah. and I mean and in the UK as well yes. I mean that's the thing I mean yes. you know, living in London you can't really avoid like seeing the realities of, of, of or you can I guess if you're selective in where you go but I, I certainly yeah. am always very aware of the gap between the rich and the poor Absolutely. here um, you know to yeah. the extreme of the fact that you see quite a lot of homeless people but but it's not just that it's also when you walk down a street between a, a rich <laughs> area and, and then, adventure walk. Right, right. that's exactly, exactly. what you experience yeah exactly right yeah. And in yeah. London, it's one street to the next. Right, it's really extreme. Yeah. And it's kind of, in San Francisco, it's a little bit different. It's more spaced out. But I was living for a while in an area called The Mission, which is known for its artists living there and these crazy warehouses. And I lived in the crazy warehouse. But just one block away is the Hispanic area, illegal immigrants, basically, who are, you know, living in poverty. And it's just right there but in the rest of San Francisco it's a little bit more spread out so you don't see it unless you go to those areas I guess you're kind of sheltered from it right yeah I mean and it, but it's interesting that that was the place that you, where you had the culture yeah. shock I mean I, I guess that I mean there are extremes of 
poverty in India or whatever, like if yeah. you've been to India. Yes. But, but I guess it's what you're expecting, yes. maybe. Yeah. 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 Yeah, interesting. So, yeah. Expectation makes all the difference, it doesn't did. it? That's right. I had no idea that that was going to, you know, I just thought it was going to be a home away from home, and it was, but I just didn't expect that. Wow. It took me a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And I was shocked that I was shocked. I was yeah. like, what's going on? Oh, yeah, I think I'm in shock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's strange. That's really, yeah, I like, yeah, that's, yeah, shock, shock. Being shocked that you're in shock, I think, is, is quite, you know, I, I definitely can relate to that. I think there's definitely, most times I'm shocked, I'm shocked that I'm shocked. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you sort of, like, uh, jokingly, occasionally, have, have referred to yourself as, as, a, as a hippie. Yeah. I mean, that's a, a loaded word these days, but you did give me coffee with, with hemp milk. <laughs> Uh, which which you which you and were, organic coffee but right and you were aware when you were saying have milk that you, that this was revealing something <laughs> of yourself to me before we'd even started recording yeah yeah I mean um, I think a hippie is just an easy throwaway word that kind of immediately people you know encapsulates everything so yeah. they can expect certain things but yeah it's a, it's a difficult word these days and I don't really think I am in the traditional sense if there's such a such a thing of what the word hippie is I just you know, have a certain way of living life, yeah. and that's it, really. And some people might call it hippie-ish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what what would you? I mean, but yeah, I mean, but like unpacking that, like, what would you call it? I mean, it's like so. It's about so. There's a kind of the yoga influence and sort of being con- conscious living. You call definitely, it, yeah. yeah, conscious living. Um, again, it's it's kind of got its it's got its paradoxes within it I'd say it's not as simple as just going I'm going to live consciously and blah 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 because I think there's you can only go so far sometimes and there's convenience and there's this and that and yeah. there's money right you know and there's, rea- yeah, there's practical. reality practicality yeah. so I mean it's just um it none of it is really anything that I've particularly thought about it's just what's comfortable to me in a way you know, I'm a vegetarian, I've been a vegetarian for about 20 years. Most of the food I buy is organic, and everyone always says, but that's so expensive. But I don't really think about that. I just buy it because that's what I eat, you know, and so that's what I do. I don't really go... I mean, if I was really sick, I would probably say something different, but in general, I don't take headache tablets or any of that, that kind of stuff or antibiotics or anything like that. Um, I prefer to kind of just... I'm really going to sound like a hippie. <laughs> I'm going to. I prefer to just kind of become aware of what my body and what's going on, and then deal with it myself in some ways. And often it's just about your emotional manifesting in the physical, anyway. But you know, with again with serious illnesses, then you're talking about something different. But right. Yeah, just general. And the yoga thing. I'm into kind of community and community experiences and. I don't really drink very much. I eat really healthily, and just. Is, is but this, I do have fun. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, yeah, I have lots right, of fun. Right. I, 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 you know, None I, of these I, things I are particularly you. cutting edge. I just think, just you know. Well, I don't drink very much, and I still have fun. Yeah. But I mean, has this you always has, has this always been the, no. the way? It doesn't. I, I thought it might not have been. No, I was definitely a hedonist for quite a long time, and I think I messed with my body. And I got really bad allergies in the late 90s and went to lots of doctors and said, what's wrong with me? Ah! And I called them allergies, but it was just something wrong with me. You know, I just wasn't feeling healthy. And nobody, you know, doctors being doctors, which some are great, obviously, but um, tried to give me antibiotics and blah, blah, blah. And none of it worked. So I just set out on on my own path of working out what it was. And that's that's the whole... um, my whole path of like awareness I guess and that's why I kind of drawn to Kundalini Yoga because I think if you have that awareness of how of how you are inside physically and spiritually then that helps you navigate and it helps you also help others and serve others you know just by being nice maybe or just it doesn't have to be any big thing but just yeah being aware of others as well Kind of helps you have empathy for others. You're taking me off into mad paths. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I like. I mean, I'm, I'm big. I'm. I'm. A, I'm very committed to the idea of empathy. Yeah. So uh, I. Yeah. I. I. I very much kind of appreciate that. And it, well, you're a feminist, so. Well, I, I guess. I mean, I guess that's. That, that, yeah, I mean, that's. 
yeah i mean i guess i'm a yeah i mean i, I guess i'm 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 a feminist because i like empathy rather than the other way around probably mm-hmm. i think yeah like, the idea of trying to connect and understand other people's points of view is 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 really like my fundamental kind of motivation I what guess. would you say fem- feminism is for you then well turning the tables well sorry I know no, that's all right <laughs> well I mean for me when I look at the world I see um, a world fundamentally biased uh, towards men um, throughout most of history uh, and in most cultures um, which I, I think is I'm sure. There, I mean, I think I can understand why this is why this has happened to a certain extent. Biology not being very favourable in the past, for sure. Like, if you were a woman, you were more likely. You know, you, you there. There was a lot less we could control in the past, and so it was more dangerous to be a yeah. woman. And, and yeah. uh, men, uh, as I think humans do, uh, have uh, capitalised on their advantage, right? And I, I don't think that's a very Same. good thing to do. But I think if, if I, I, I think if women had had the same biological, I think if, if they would have made the same kind of choices, um, and I'm not, I'm not for for the way that generally society is structured, I guess. But one of the main things I, I see that is wrong with it is this unfairness towards women generally by men yeah. and, you know, towards uh, people of colour by white people. And in fact, ev- everything I am is problematic uh, yes. <laughs> as, a, as a middle class white man. Yeah, but, I think the opposite, actually. I think it's as a middle class white man, you have more influence in speaking about it. Right. Maybe more influence speaking about it, but definitely... Less experience. Yeah, yeah, right. It's... it's, it's my words will be pr- probably listened to more, yeah. but they may be completely wrong because I haven't had any experience. So I could, I could, st- yeah. so I have to sort of. It's tricky to to work out how to engage with with feminism without. Um, I don't want to be dominant. Like, no, there's no place for men dominating feminist discourse. Yeah. I'm not for that. Yeah. But I am for men owning like our own responsibility, yeah. trying to stop other men from being sexist, trying yeah. to engage with that stuff. And but I think that's needed, you know. But also for Emily men Pankhurst too. Emily Pankhurst was married. Right. Yeah. But I mean, it's... And it was supported. Right, yeah. I agree. Yeah. And, I, and also I think that, that, that one of the reasons I'm a feminist as well is because, you know, pa- patriarchy hurts men too. Like, yeah. I, I got... Uh, I've had bullying in school for not being masculine enough. Yeah. For, for, you know, I've experienced homophobic bullying even though I'm straight. Yeah. Um, I've, uh, you know, I... I don't think that men not talking uh, about their feelings and things like that has been helpful. Yeah. My, you know, my stepdad uh, hit me when I was growing up and was part of, that was part of the patriarchal culture that wow. he picked up and yeah. the way he, him and his, him and my mum were, you know, that was very much, I saw how marriage can change people and make people kind of expect, well, make men expect women to be their, their, their servants. And so all of that went in. So I guess you know I think yeah. that 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 everybody, regardless of their gender, should be a feminist. But I think that yeah. male feminists should be wary about dominating a discourse that is not theirs to dominate. I guess so. I, it's complicated. I often say in because uh, in the type of yoga I do, there's a lot of female teachers. Actually, interestingly, my collective is mainly male, but there's a lot of female teachers. But more and more male, more and more men are being attracted to the yoga, which is great. But I often feel slightly sorry for men because I think there's nowadays there's such a culture of, you know, supporting women, understanding women, their plight, their, you know, equal rights and getting the jobs and blah, blah, blah. And um, it's, a, it's a difficult time for men because regardless of feminism, their roles are, are just undefined at, at, at the moment. Yeah. They're the kind of just... Like, hey, we've got all these in, in my hippie circles, we've got all these like goddess-like nights and, hey, women meet together and talk about this and sister circles. And I'm thinking, well, I think the men need that as well. My male teachers in my co-op, he goes to a man's retreat, a male retreat every year where they just kind of go out into the wilderness with a teacher for like two weeks. And it's amazing, you know, and all these things come up and I think that's needed. Because otherwise we're just going to go... The other way, yeah. you know, there's two genders here with two, 
that we have different needs, you know, as well. So yeah, I think that needs to be supported as well. Although it's so hard to separate nature and nurture, right? It's yeah. always really hard to to find out how our needs are different and how they're con- culturally constructed. So I mean, yes. you know, I think there Absolutely. are biological differences, certainly. Yeah. But I think yeah. a lot of the things like emotional differences and stuff like that, I'm I'm less convinced by a lot of the. Time I would I go guess. with you on that, but I but I think. Well, I partly go with you. Yeah, on that. no. Well, I mean, I'd only partly go with myself. Like, like I say, I'm less convinced. I mean, I yeah. think that uh, I, I, I think how we're different is kind of immaterial to the fact that we're equal. Yes. I guess. Uh, so my my primary thing is right. We we need to have equal rights, and you're Definitely. right. I think you're you're really right as well. Um, equal rights for both sides. Yes. I mean, there there are a lot of ways that men can be liberated by feminist thinking. I think. Yes. I mean, you know, when when I look at patriarchy, I think, yeah, okay, treats women like objects in certain ways, but it also treats men like objects. Like men are the majority of people who fight in wars. That is a, a gendered and difference, the, right? The, the and they're dying. Yeah, you know, and that's not great the, for men. The whole idea of men being the providers as well is that hasn't petered out. I mean, it's still, you know, prominent a prominent thing that however liberated women think they are, I think there is still that thing that you go into partnership and eat, maybe not among my, amongst my friends, but I, I see it in the wider world that, you know, they expect to be provided for sometimes. There is a, there, I mean, and that is culturally conditioned, culturally cultural condition, right? Definitely. So, I mean, I think that's true. It's really hard to come out Men are culturally conditioned that they should provide and women are, are culturally, yeah, conditioned to be... probably not yeah. in our circles, but... Right, no, yeah. no, exactly. <laughs> Generally not in my circles yeah. either, although I think whether it's in not in our circles, it probably is within our families. Definitely. Do you know what I mean? Like within, our, within the people who came before us yeah. definitely are still in those 100%. dynamics. <laughs> yeah, my mum didn't work, you know, once she got married. Yeah, although maybe this is an interesting thing why I'm quite open and comfortable calling myself a feminist is that my dad was retired when I was born yeah. and he essentially, he brought me up and my mum went out to Fantastic. work a lot of the time um, until the dynamic that I've already mentioned with my stepdad yeah. happened. Yeah. So I had this kind of uh, prototype feminist male role model, although... He, he's feminist in lots of ways. Ago. It doesn't mean that he's faithful, but it does right. mean that he's... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's an interesting... That's another completely interesting topic. Does being a woman mean that you're faithful? Well, that's no. That's a stereotype. I don't, I don't, I, well, I, mean, I, don't, think, I don't think... I, I, I don't think that either gender is necessarily yeah, monogamous. Yeah. yeah. But I do think that... I understand why women are, like... I guess there's more... It's it's just a more dangerous world for women to be massively promiscuous. Yes. So I think absolutely. that that's the thing that gets in the way of this kind of us seeing some kind of equality in terms of yeah. um, sort of like it's, it's easy you know people like to say men always want sex and 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 you know that isn't that the stereotype isn't there for women in that way. Well, I think a lot less men are always in like that's a stereotype for men that isn't true I know loads of men who are not like that I agree with you and there's loads of women who are like that I agree with that too (laughs) but but a lot of the time there are barriers in place of them expressing that socially like you know because of the dangers around it yeah well I think I'd go back to what I was saying about feeling a little bit sorry for men because they're in limbo I think in a way women are in limbo as well because especially in the 90s there's this whole Ledette thing you know of, of women just oh, I can shag around now and it's all going to be great because that means I'm liberated and then coming out the other side of that and thinking, actually, that's not that great. I don't really like that. And there was a lot of stuff in the press at the time, but still now it, it, it's there, an undercurrent of young women kind of thinking that that's the way to be liberated. And yeah. I think it's because we haven't found that place where it's okay to be yourself, whatever you are. Right. And right. Um, you don't, you know, and it, if you want to you know, be provided for and only be the mother and do all that stuff then and not have a career, that's totally great, you know. If you want to be a father that stays at home and look, that's totally... And I don't think we've kind of got into that 
comfortably yet. Right. It's all right to be whatever you want to be, you know. Right. Well, this, yeah. the, the idea of negotiating and, like, listening to each other, that, that those are the sorts of things that I think are important. Like, I, I saw, a, like, a list of 35 things that men can do to be better supporters of feminism, and I didn't like it, even though I'm a feminist, because <laughs> a, a lot of it was so prescriptive, right? Yeah. That I think in in, a, in actual relationships, people they've got to negotiate yeah. and see where each other are coming from yes. and see which other, where each other's skills are. Diff- totally you know. totally and so it, you know, it, it may be that in in that couple, that the woman does all the DIY and the man exactly. does all of the traditionally female housework. Loves cooking, but but it doesn't yeah. mean that you have to sort of split everything fifty yeah. fifty in this kind of. Yeah conventional like that's conventional in a different way it's just replacing one set of rigid norms with another set of rigid norms which I find isn't very human and it's not really very very realistic I think it's one of the reasons I'm a journalist actually (laughs) in that I think media has a lot to answer for in creating those right uh, especially mainstream press in continuing that conditioning and and um, and there is a place for for another conversation to happen and that means that I probably won't make much money (laughs) we're talking alternative press stuff but I just keep getting called to that so yeah but there's a lot of you know like you say there's a lot of reason to uh to challenge the mainstream of media now yeah I mean and there's a lot of people who are doing it from within um and there are a lot of people who are doing it from without yeah but it's a big thing to try and challenge yeah I mean so I, I I I think it's a brave move to, to, to go down in that direction. Well, I mean, I, I, I think... I mean, I don't, I don't, and I'm not talking about challenging in a like aggressive way. Yeah, no, I, mean, I know. Uh, I'm recognising that you're not saying I think that. the more I do my yoga, so this is how things kind <laughs> of integrate into each other, the more I realise that the only impact you can really have is really within your small sphere and those ripple out. So the idealistic view I had perhaps a few years ago even, of thinking I can change the world or, you know, being a bit of an activist at times, etc. I think that's changed because there are, it's just too big, you know, as an individual you can't change and people won't take you seriously unless you know, unless you're like incredibly knowledgeable about everything you talk about, you know, and you can beat the politicians on Newsnight and be like, yeah, you know, you can't, you have to start small. And that's the hippie part of me, because that's where it's all about forming little communities that's, you know, that want, want to see things in a, in, a, in a different way, and then living your life that way with other people around you that also live their lives that way, and then that's how it ripples out. That's kind of what I'm going for at the moment. Yeah. No, I mean, I, <laughs> I, 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 I relate to that. It yeah. is a very big thing to try and change. And uh, you're fighting, you know, the world powers. It, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard enough, I yeah. find, in my life to change yourself, right? Totally, <laughs> totally, absolutely. Let alone, you know, right. bring down a whole political yeah, exactly. paradigm. Right, <laughs> for sure. So um, the, the last question that I ask everybody is, do you have anything to plug? Which is, yeah. Um, do I have anything to plug? Yeah. No. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I do lots of different things. Okay, I'll tell you one thing that I plug. At the moment, I am, I've been running a radio station for teenagers for the last couple of years. Love it. They're amazing. And it's, they're, some of them are, belong on national radio because they're incredible now. They've been doing it for a long time. And listen to it. It's called inspiredradio.co.uk. Brilliant. Well, that's a great, that's a great plug. <laughs> and that sounds like a great project to have been yeah. doing. Um, I mean, it, yeah, that's, that's another thing, like, um, when we're talking about, like, conditioning, that's what's so great about working with kids and teenagers, yeah. right? You're getting people before they're fully conditioned. Yeah. And it's so refreshing. It is refreshing. Yeah. It is refreshing, yeah. They, I, I love, I get on really well with teenagers. I'm a bit worried about that, but yeah. That's okay. <laughs> that's that's um, all right. Though. I mean, yeah. And it's interesting. They get to about seventeen, maybe sixteen, seventeen, and they go off on one. And you know, they kind of. I guess it's when they're finding establishing themselves as individuals, as that you know their own identity, and they go off and they probably won't come to the radio for a while. And then when they get to about eighteen, they grow up and they come back. 
Okay. Well, I mean, that's that 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 phone. Is that somebody at your door? Yeah, that's somebody coming to work with me. Well, that is uh, brilliantly. Uh, it's well timed in that this is the time when I ask my my guests to say goodbye to the audience. Thank you very much for having me, Dave. My, <laughs> my pleasure. Really interesting. It's really good. It's very strange talking about yourself. Yeah, I know. Everybody's yeah. Everybody <laughs> says that. It's true. I, I mean, I, I'm so used to it now, but it's it still is strange to me yeah. even now. So, yeah, so bye everybody. Bye. <laughs>find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at UBA Podcast you can find it on Facebook it's Getting Better Acquainted have a search on Facebook and like it or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk you can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way and on the Stitcher Smart Radio app you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the app store there are lots of ways to get better acquainted